This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join us today. A special welcome to those of you tuning in and listening to the podcast for the very first time. We are going to wrap up our current potpourri set. Uh, This is the third segment, I believe, if I remember correctly, where we were just talking about different at-large topics that have been presented that we've encountered certain things that are key, certain certain things of importance, certain things people have been asking me about, whatever it might be. And then we're going to be getting back to some some interviews and some panel sessions that we've had that we've recorded recently. But let's go ahead and dive in because we still got a, a few topics we want to cover. And then we're going to wrap all of this up with a special sign off, especially for this this new contingent who are Part of this, Darren, why are you always talking about stuff like this? Uh, because other people aren't, number one. Well, that's not the main reason. Main reason is because it's needed. And there are people who are engaging. They're setting out on a on a UX journey. And there are people who only want to tell them the soft, fluffy, and pretty stuff. But they, they're not giving them a holistic vision, holistic view of what's actually taking place. What do you need to do to to succeed in UX? And I see people all the time. I saw another post earlier today where someone was talking about everybody. Oh, so you, you want to get into UX? There's no way, I got to say this, there's no way that if people knew exactly what to expect with UX, there is absolutely no way that the numbers of people seeking to get into UX would be the same. A lot of people are looking to get into UX for all of the wrong reasons. That is a problem. Folks, it's a problem today. And and it's something that a lot of a lot of established UX folks don't want to tell anybody about. It's something that those of us who are seasoned in UX should be willing to tell people about, but it's just not happening. So personally, I'd rather give you a realistic view of what's happening out there uh, because I think it's the humane thing to do. I think it's the ethical thing to do. I think it's the respectful thing to do. So I will never sit here and blow smoke up someone's rear. I'm going to tell you what's really happening, what really lies ahead. We're going to tell you about the good stuff. We're going to tell you about the challenging stuff. We're going to tell you about the favorable stuff. We're going to tell you about the unfavorable stuff. We're going to tell you about everything. And again, that's why this show was called the world of UX, we're talking about any and everything related to the discipline. And some people call it negative. But as we said last week, if somebody tells you there's a nail in your tire, that's not negative. Somebody may have just saved your life. So people put a spin on things because they don't want to hear it. A lot of times they put a spin on it and they only present the the cute, fluffy stuff because they're cowards. And, and I got news for you. If you're embarking on a UX journey, you cannot be a coward. This is not a place for cowards. Uh, there's a lot of cowards out here. Matter of fact, we're being overrun by cowards these days. You can't be a coward and succeed in UX because you're going to come 
face to face with something that's not pleasant, not comfortable, and not favorable, and you have to learn how to navigate it. And and that's one of the things that has nothing to do with the work itself that it is critical for us to know how to do so we can be successful. So let's go ahead and dive into these topics that I've got set aside, and then we're going to wrap up this particular segment. Statement or topic number one. So topic number one, uh, AI. <laughs> Some people say, there. I wonder what you're going to talk about AI. Well, here's a here's a short segment on AI today uh, because we need to understand some things about AI. I'm not going to talk about this from a broad perspective. I'm only going to talk about one aspect of it and touch on some others a little bit as I'm covering the topic. But the the topic comes up in the form of a question, and that question is: Is AI ready for prime time? The answer is. No, a resounding no. It, it, it's we always have to beware of hype. Anytime something is hyped, it may be hyped because it's new, maybe hyped because people are curious, maybe hyped because maybe somebody even saw AI do something that they found to be really astounding and interesting. And, and by no means am I saying that it's not capable of that to some extent. It's not, how can I say? AI can do some great things, and I think eventually it likely will. The problem that I want to make sure people have on their radar is that there are some inherent dangers. The direct answer to the question is that AI is not ready for prime time. The matter, the the fact that AI can do uh, thing A, B, C, and D, but then fail at E, F, G, and H, that's a big problem. Even if it was only E. Because it's not about what AI can and cannot do. It's about the, this thing that people have overlooked. And our society is becoming like not interested in ethics. When sound business processes call for ethics, uh, our laws call for ethics, uh, being able to operate in a community and, and do certain things requires people to be ethical. So here's this AI that is plagiarizing it is presenting misinformation. AI will not be ready for prime time until it stops sharing misinformation. Somebody asked, uh, interesting, they were just having fun, and they actually asked Chat GPT. I don't think I've shared this on a previous show. They asked Chat GPT, what would Darren Hood say about X? And Chat GPT said, well, I don't know what Darren Hood would say proceeded to give it some other filler and then proceeded to tell the person who Darren Hood was and it was completely inaccurate. So if, if I mean, I personally, I see AI as an oxymoron. It's artificial intelligence. And if it's artificial, it simply isn't intelligent. It, it's not intelligent unless it's sentient. It's not intelligent unless it can be capable of critical thinking. And and AI is not capable of, of critical thinking. And so for that reason, there are some issues. And that's why people get incorrect answers. That's why people get misled. That's why people get misinformation. And so if you're in the camp where it's all about hype, you're just willing to embrace AI because of its newness, because you're excited about it, and you're willing to engage without applying the appropriate critical thinking. I mean, the fact that AI is not capable of critical thinking doesn't mean that you should be or that I should be. 
So the mere fact that it can do certain things, we, we can't get excited about that alone. AI is not an ethical technology. And for that reason, that's why we get a lot of the answers and a lot of the direction that's not in our best interest and would actually detrimentally impact everyone involved. So AI simply is not ready for prime time, folks. So this is a problem. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody recently where I said something about it. We cannot just be of the frame of mind that we're going to be all gullible with regard to this or any technology for that matter. We can't just get uh, um, excited and jump on the hype train. And then someone responded and the person just kept talking about what AI was capable of doing. Why is it? And I came back and mentioned this. Why is it that folks are willing to engage with something and completely bypass whether or not what they're engaging with is ethical. As soon as people start doing that, and part of the process is to bypass ethics, everybody who's associated with that is going to pay the price. And so I I highly encourage my audience to make sure that you are focused on ethics today. That is key to overall success, not only on the individual level, but the way that it impacts society. And we do impact society today that calls for being ethical. Okay. Topic number two. There's an issue that's taking place that's, that's really probably the broadest reaching element associated with UX today. And it has to do with the fact that we're being overrun. We are completely clouded today with an extremely sinister culture in UX. And I mean, it's happening everywhere. Examples. There are companies that claim that they want UX people and you see job postings everywhere. (laughs) Folks, I've said this before. I just had to bring it up again. Companies say they want UX people, but they don't. And you can tell by the way that they engage. People bring UX people on board because Somebody did a little song and dance and got somebody to go for it in the moment. But a lot of times that momentary commitment to UX is not long lasting. Folks are not, companies are not in it for the long haul. They're not sold on UX. They don't understand what UX is. And until somebody who's making decisions about UX understands what UX is and what it truly brings to the table, there will never be a real commitment to UX. So when you have these companies that think that all UX does is make things pretty, and many people do. When they do hire, they expect everybody that comes on board to just make things look pretty, and they and these people have this this mindset for for a very long period of time. And so, when they see the UX team do things, they really don't know how to respond, or they they undervalue and they oversimplify. So, companies they they again they claim you see job postings. I I did a search. On LinkedIn recently for jobs, there was no fewer, based on the keywords that I entered, there were no fewer than 10 pages of jobs that were available. And that was just on LinkedIn. You'll find some of the same jobs on Glassdoor or Indeed or Dice or some of the other places. And and, and it's, it's something folks need to know. You see all of these posts and you think that, wow, that's like 100 companies that are looking to hire UX people. They're looking to hire UX people, but they have if they don't know what UX people do, 
the mere fact that they're hiring somebody or they have a job posting does not override the ignorance, <laughs> the blindness associated with with their their current level of consciousness, their UX maturity. It, it's it it doesn't override that. And so the UXers who actually come on board in that company are now at risk because you could be hired today and be gone tomorrow. And, and got to throw this in there, too. There's a lot of companies, they don't get rid of their UX teams. That doesn't mean that they don't know what UX is. So it, it's really something today that they it, it's very sinister, uh, which is another reason why you see so many companies that hire people that either don't know or don't care about UX running the UX teams. That puts everybody at risk, not just on a personal level, but the practice, the users are not going to benefit because they're just rolling something out. And another discussion we had on LinkedIn recently where I was talking about how that there are people that they can design a UI. I mean, every UI is designed by somebody. It doesn't mean that it's usable. It doesn't mean that it's beneficial. It doesn't mean that it reflects the mental models of of the users, anything of that sort. So there's always going to be uh, uh, an interface. If there's a solution, there's an interface. That that happens. There, there's a solution, there's an interface, so there's an interface and there's an experience. There's nothing to guarantee that that experience is reflective of proper UX principles. And so some companies, they get rid of their UX people. Some companies, they 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 try to stand by their UX people. At least they, they, they do the song and dance that says that they do. But what a lot of companies are doing when it comes to UX is nothing more than engaging in lip service. Nothing but lip service where they, I, I know companies that they've had UX teams around for a long time. I know companies that have had UX teams for longer than 10 years or so, but they're not doing anything reflective of the the basics and the pillars of UX. They're not. Matter of fact, I know a company that they, they oh, they, they were so well structured and they had a, a central UX team and they had... UX and every part of somebody representing UX in every part of the company, they never really wanted to do UX the right way, never committed to it, never demonstrated it. And eventually, like a lot of companies do, that operation ended up giving way to design thinking. They still call their operation UX, and then they hire graphics people and art directors to run their UX department which ensures the longevity of the foolishness, frankly. Uh, they don't hire real UX people because they, they have no interest in real UX. And remember, the old, I know a lot of people have heard before that they always say, if you want to have a great department if, as a leader, hire somebody that's smarter than you. That's going to be great for your department. Well, that happens rarely. <laughs> Today, people are not looking to hire someone that knows more than them because a lot of the Leaders today are very insecure. Uh, they know, many of them know they're not qualified for the job they got, but they're not going to turn it down because they want the money, they want the prestige, yada, yada, yada. So they go ahead, they accept the job, they're not qualified for, and this is not just them. This is also these people who are going from nothing to principle in two and three years. This is happening too. That's hurting the discipline. This is part of the sinister culture. That, that's running rampant in, in UX today. I, I see a lot. I saw a post recently where somebody said, hey, uh, I'm looking for another job. I, 
I, I got a job. I started out. Everything was great. And I was able to go from entry level to, to principal. And now I'm looking for a new job. If you know any other principal jobs out there, let me know. And I was just curious because there was something about the voice and tone of the post that didn't set right. And I looked at the person's background. The person had a little over two years or so, roughly three years of experience. And you can't be a principal in three years. The issue about this is that this is rampant in UX today. People who are rising to lead levels and principal levels and manager levels without bringing anything to the table. The funny thing is a lot of these people are the same folks running around claiming to feel like an imposter. You don't, you don't feel like an imposter. You are an imposter. So people are going to get mad at me for this, but you know, it's the truth. And, and whether you accept it or not, or whether you know it or not, or whether you embrace it or not, it doesn't stop it from being true. Nobody should be in a position that they're not qualified for. Period. It, it eventually comes back and it bites everyone, including the individual. You know, and, and also, and something we said some time ago, you can be a senior at one company, but it doesn't mean you'll be a senior at another because people's job titles are a reflection of the UX maturity in that organization. And organizations that are low in UX maturity, you'll find a lot of people in positions that they don't qualify for. So it just is what it is today. And, and we need to understand that. that there's a large volume of people who believe that it doesn't take much to advance in UX. And these people are skewing perspectives for themselves as individuals. They're skewing perspectives for those people who are trying to to advance in the discipline, they're skewing perspectives because when you get these unskilled seniors, leads, and principals interacting with people at leadership and, and leadership levels, and they see a lack of skill, these are smart people. They didn't get into their position. Well, some of them did, but you know what I'm getting at. When when you when they see people with that title, they're expecting a certain level of performance, delivery, and value. And when they don't get it. Then they look at the UX team with crossed eyes, and rightfully so. But it's it's rampant, and and this is another problem, as are many problems today in UX that is going to be some time before we see things actually actually work themselves out. So yeah, you know it is what it is. I'm just telling you about it, and you'll hear my conclusion as we as we wrap this up. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement that's gonna tie up everything we've talked about of the last last uh, couple of sessions and this one. Uh, I know of a, of a situation where there was a person who was a great practitioner of UX, who understood UX for what it really is, who sought to represent the discipline properly, who who worked with people who were at the C-suite, worked with people who were managers across the organization, worked to try to upskill his team, supported his team, had his team's back, represented the team properly in front of all the stakeholders, internally, great leader. Well, the company ended up laying off. They had layoffs. And what was interesting was that that person ended up getting laid off. Another person who was also an, an actual practitioner of UX and understood the discipline and represented the discipline properly and, and was looking to see to it that the team was growing the right way. These people got laid off. The people who got to keep their jobs were the people who did not represent the discipline the right way, who were interested, more interested in self-advancement 
than discipline advancement. And so these are the people who went in spewing misinformation, playing games, vaulting design thinking instead of actual UX, trying to democratize everything, which is really a lot of things that lazy people love democratization of work because that's less work they have to do. <laughs> Nobody talks about that, but that's one of the reasons why that is the case. So isn't it sad that the people who were real, the real practitioners were the ones who ended up without a job and the ones who were detrimental to the discipline were able to keep their jobs. That's just one example. This is happening at large across the discipline. And so again, this is another thing that until it straightens out, the discipline is going to suffer. The discipline is going to, is going to be dealt a serious blow because of all the people who look at UX the wrong way who look at UX inaccurately, and every time they think about UX or talk about UX, it's with a jaded perspective. And that doesn't do anybody any favors. And as I said earlier, they're going to deploy something. And so the users are going to get to use something. I'm sure they're going to be able to perform some tasks, but are, is it going to be an optimal user experience? Are they going to get the, the optimal ROI? Are they going to get any uh, ROI off of that? Uh, it, it's going to be It's going to be a bad show. It's gonna. It's not going to be good, folks, at all. It's amazing what's happening, but again, this is a reflection of the sinister nature that's at work across all of UX today. It's really, really sad. Another example of this is that I made a statement on social media about UX, just talking about what UX really is and what it's not, and and and, and how things are. Are being established today. Matter of fact, I responded to something someone else said. They they made a statement where they were oversimplifying the discipline. They made a statement where they were misdefining the discipline, and and I just said nope, nope, and nope. And then the person wanted me to get into some, some long drawn out explanation to to clarify what I was saying. But you can't discuss facts when the conversation started. With, with fiction and, and from the perspective, so I can make myself clear, if somebody wants you to clarify something, but they're asking for you to clarify something using their fiction as the foundation for the conversation, that conversation can't go anywhere. The conversation doesn't go anywhere until people will embrace what's true. So until people emba- embrace truth, it's not going to happen. And so the person proceeded to say, Things like, oh, you're saying that UX has been around, but UX hasn't been around that long at all. Information architecture was here before UX, and usability was here before UX. And I'm going, wow, UX is an is a is an umbrella term. And and as UX evolved, and when I say that, I'm talking about what was happening in 1995. Whatever was going on back then, usability, heuristics were already a thing. Information architecture was actually already a thing. It didn't hit the, it, it, it didn't become prominent until 1998. Richard Saul Werman had been talking about uh, uh, information architecture for some time, even prior to that. So these things already existed. When we say UX, that is an umbrella acronym that is referring to everything that is related to what we do, any methods, methodologies, techniques, anything that we do to help optimize the experience for users is referred to as UX. That includes all the parts of the discipline that existed before we at large started using the acronym UX. So when somebody tries to say that usability 
preceded UX, that that's somebody that, that that's pretty silly. We already know that part from where they're coming from. What we ha- what happened though is that as the discipline evolved, many of us came to understand, hey, you know what? We just call it UX now. When we say UX, we know that we mean all of the things. Every time you hear UX. So when somebody ever says that UX wasn't around in 1998, they're actually saying a few things. They're saying that they don't understand the evolution of UX. They're also saying that they're separating UX from, for example, information architecture, when information architecture is at the core of real UX. And people are making statements like that in a day and time where product design is being used to overthrow UX practices everywhere. So if if somebody gets out there and says that uh, information architecture is not a part of UX, that means that they don't understand UX. So when somebody makes a statement like that, they're telling you that they're ignorant, they're telling you that they are conceptually blind, and we have enough blind leading the blind in UX today. You're not going to have a conversation where, I mean, any conversation, you have to have a starting point. You have to have a place in the conversation where where we're level set, where, okay, we're straight on A, B, and C, but let's dialogue about, about D, E, and F. And and But if A, B, and C are not established, that conversation, you can't pick it up at D and go forward, especially with the mindset that A, B, and C are accurate. The person's statements were not accurate. All of these things that I'm bringing up now, these all come together to illustrate the sinister nature, the sinister culture that is UX today. The whole thing about how people say, hey, when you stand up for what's, well, they don't say this, I'm saying it. When, when you stand up for what UX should be, I mean, that person even said that we can't even get people to agree on anything. The fact that somebody who is stubborn doesn't agree doesn't change the truth of a thing. It's just amazing how people will play these games. They gaslight. And some people who are gaslit present their gaslit mentality as if what they're saying is factual. Nothing that that person said is factual. UX suffers today because we have too many people who want to be in the discipline, operate in the discipline, occupy space in the discipline under false pretenses. That's why we suffer. And so until people understand that, and embrace what is true. I had a person tell me once that we don't have standards. We do have standards. That person in that conversation tried to bring up ISO issues associated with, with HCI. HCI is a part of UX too. So, so it's, it's amazing. So you can't get people, including that person. Some people, they have no desire to acknowledge what they should be acknowledging. And, and no conversation. We'll make we'll we'll make any progress. No conversation will go anywhere when people insist on being difficult. It just things just don't work that way. So so let's know and understand we're we're surrounded. I said and again in 2011, 2012, that UX is under siege. That siege is fully formed today. Every example I just gave is a reflection, not to mention the fact that the the people who make statements like the one I just mentioned to you. They've only been around UX for like the equivalent of three minutes, so to speak. And, and they love to challenge people who've been around a while. And the statement I was about to make, and I went a different direction, is that when you take a stand 
for what's right. They want to label you as a gatekeeper, which is also an act of gaslighting because gatekeeping is actually good, necessary, and it's something that once we start doing it, we can start right the ship. Once people start start respecting gatekeeping, then we can go in the right direction because all the gatekeepers are doing is reminding people of where the North Star is. But when people complain about the North Star, you are not going to reach your destination. For those of you unfamiliar with that metaphor, North Star is you, you use the North Star to navigate. You find the North Star because you know you're supposed to go in that direction. So the gatekeepers, I am one, and I'm proud to be a gatekeeper. I'm happy to be a gatekeeper. It's a service we provide to the discipline as, at large. When we tell people where the North Star is, then everybody should go, yes, I agree with that. Do you agree that we should be embracing information architecture? Yeah. Not, not like this one person, and this is another example of the sinister culture that that is running rampant in UX today, where a person who is a director, they're a director at their organization, a director of design, said that information architecture is new. There is absolutely nothing new about information architecture. But how many people saw it and said, well, he's a director. Well, he must know what he's talking about. He had no idea what he was talking about. And so you have these people who are learning about something. They hear it for the first time. They see it for the first time. And, and then because they see it for the first time, they think it's new. Man, isn't that, that is the direct opposite of what critical thing, just because you just got exposed to something doesn't mean that it's new. It means that you just heard about it. That's all that means. And, and it's sad that information architecture, again, which has been around since, if my memory serves me correctly, the late 70s. And of course, we none of us were paying attention to it then. When it hit the mainstream in about 98 or so, how many people were looking at it back then? How many people pay attention to the history of UX so that they can understand what was, I mean, most of us were called information architects. And this person is saying that information architecture is new. That's probably one of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard. Anybody say in and around UX, you know, and then I bring that up and, and it's critical that we are, that we know that these types of things are happening and people, Darren, that's negative. No, it's needful. It's needful. And if you, if you don't know that people are pulling the wool over folks' eyes and you don't take the time to warn them, then you're helping the perps straight out, straight up. That's, that's what it is today. So we need to understand that today. There is a very sinister nature that is running amok in UX and the only way you're going to be able to navigate it, firstly, is you have to understand that it's present. And that's what we're doing right now is telling you that it's present, illustrating some ideas, and now you should become more sensitive to its presence. And, and, and if, you, if your heart's in the right place, frankly, you'll want to overcome it and you'll want other people to overcome it too. If you look at me and say, uh, I don't know why you're talking about that, and you're upset with me for talking about it, but you're not upset with them for doing it, whose side are you on today? And I'm not talking about my side. Are you on the side of the discipline or are you on the side of the perps that are operating in UX? And there are many today. So just really sad things. But again, if we're going to be successful, we have to be aware of things like this. And, and when you're aware, that's, that kicks off 
the sensitivity to the thing. And then your desire to do things the right way is going to couple with that. And if you want to do things the right way, you won't submit to it and you won't pave the way for these people to do their, their dirt and, and take this sinister nature of UX further and drive it further into our culture today. I, I have nothing to do with it. I refuse to be a part of the sinister nature of UX. It, it's trying to draw people in. I'm not doing it. I'm not having it. I'll continue to speak against it until I'm done in the discipline. So uh, that is all we have to say about that. <laughs> How about that today? So, folks, and really, that, that's those are just sort of the two topics that we wanted to bring up and, and close with in this segment of potpourri today. I think I slid a third one in there, but we only played our little cue twice. So let's <laughs> say there's two topics today. The issue that is AI ready for prime time? Answer is no. A resounding no. It's not ready ethically. So no one understand that. And there's a sinister nature that's at work in UX today. We need to be aware of it. And being aware of it will put us in a position to engage in critical thinking and navigate around it and help those we care about and help our teams to not become victimized by it at the same time, folks. So in closing, please no one understand. I said I would have a special statement in closing. Please no one understand. These are obstacles. I've been talking about obstacles for today and the two weeks prior to this. Obstacles should not discourage us. It's it's life. There are going to be obstacles. We should be thankful that we see them. We should be thankful we recognize them. There are a lot of people who do not. They don't recognize them at all. But remember, an obstacle, when we engage in critical thinking and we're operating at the right level of emotional intelligence, the obstacle, or even though it might frustrate us a little bit, that's that's to be expected. It should not discourage us, though. They're here to inform if you look at an obstacle, I mean, think about a person running hurdles. You know the hurdle is there. You just jump over it. You just jump over it. And it's not about how fast. That that wonderful story recently about the woman who's, I think she's a shot putter, and the person who was supposed to run in the relay race got injured. I can't remember what country this was. But they were going to forfeit unless they found somebody else to 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 take that injured person's spot. And uh, the video's everywhere. Uh, the woman ran. She wasn't good at it, but she made sure to do it. And there were people congratulating her at the end. I just thought I'd throw that little story in there. But it wasn't about her being fast. And it's not about us being fast. It's just about us knowing where the hurdle is, doing what we have to do to overcome the hurdle, and then... When we do that, we're in great, great, great shape. But if she didn't know where the hurdles were or she wanted to pretend that they weren't there, uh, that wasn't going to work. If she decided, oh, there's hurdles, I'm not running, then the team is in bad shape. There are hurdles. There are hurdles. And, and I've talked to people about this everywhere. And they say, yes, interesting you would say that because this is actually happening in a lot of disciplines. It is. The problem is, the big issue is, UX is roughly two, 20 years old, about 20 to 25 to be exact. And it wasn't called UX prior to that. I had somebody come at me with that. They're just being, that that's a trollish thing. Everything we know to be UX started in around 1997 or so. That's when the positions started to become more commonplace on a broad scale. 
And we are the newest kid on the block. I say this a lot. When we go to a meeting and there's seven, eight, nine, ten disciplines represented, we are always the baby. We're always the one that folks don't understand. We're the only one that people want to democratize our work. And because of that, each one of us is an ambassador to the discipline. So it is critical that we know how to represent the discipline. It's critical we know what to do. It's critical that people are willing to build their acumen. It's critical that people opt into lifelong learning and not play the games. We don't have time for anybody to be sinister, but we're being overrun by this today. So that's that's an issue. So remember, these things I'm telling you about, they're there to inform us. They provide a strategic advantage for those who want to do the right thing. If people don't want to do the right thing, then yeah, it does bother them. And yeah, they don't want me to talk about it because they're not interested in, some people don't want to do any work, let alone that kind of work where they're being an ambassador, but you are. Anybody who's in UX is an ambassador to the discipline. Sadly, a lot of people are in UX and don't understand that. So when they don't understand that they're an ambassador, you think they're going to do the ambassador work? The answer is no. I've heard people say, we don't need to evangelize anymore. We have to. That's what the ambassador does. So if you don't realize that you have to represent the discipline, you're going to misrepresent it. And then other people are going to have to pay the price for your willingness to misrepresent. So pretty sad today. And it's true whether anybody likes it or not. And keep in mind, no matter what you see, no matter what I talked about in these sessions, no matter what you encounter, I do encourage you, please embrace pure UX. Don't be willing to compromise. A lot of people are, but don't be willing to compromise and make sure you're committed to keep going forward. When we can do these things, we'll be in a great shape. Our teams will be in great shape. The discipline will be in great shape. And we're paving the way for future success for everyone because we're willing to represent UX for what it really is. And so everybody benefits. So that is it, folks, for this segment of UX Potpourri. Again, we're going to get back to some of our interviews, some of our panel discussions next week. So it's time to sign off. Until next week, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing everyone all the best. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.